Well, it's kind of a random analogy, but this week I was reminded of a Christmas time movie. And I think most of you might be familiar with a Christmas story, you know, with little Ralphie and going to shoot your eye out and he wants a BB gun. But there's this kind of unfolding scene that plays out in the movie. And after weeks of anxious waiting, he uh, and he was missing out on the, the secret message. Ralphie finally gets his secret society uh, decoder pin from the Little Orphan Annie radio show. Do, do you remember this play out? Um, maybe you remember the scene where he finally is able to participate. And so to decode the message, he goes to the only place that a nine-year-old boy is allowed some privacy. He locks himself in the bathroom. And then he begins um, kind of scrambling or decoding this message, uh, except that his enthusiasm and excitement turns to utter disappointment when he decides what the message actually says. And it turns out just to be an Ovaltine announcement. Drink more Ovaltine. <laughs> so much for getting your hopes up, right? So much for that kind of joy and anticipation. Like now you're kind of got the direct line, the insider view, except that it's kind of ruined. And it seems like a lot of our skepticism starts young. A lot of our unmet expectations, I think, end up leaving us more guarded, more cautious, more hesitant to want to trust. And so when it comes to following Christ, does it feel like you need your own sort of secret decoder pin? And if we did, would we just hear the sort of same messages like, well, love your neighbor. Yeah, kind of know. You should forgive. Pray for those who persecute or are mean to you. And you're like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. But I'd like a resource to help me figure out what's next. I'd like a resource how to best lead. I'd like some kind of decoder pin that would help me know how to get ahead or um, maybe avoid struggle. I mean, these are kind of common things that we often pray about, asking God for this kind of guidance, wisdom, direction, blessing, favor. I'd like to think that he's got a message just for me a special revelation with a specific mission. And while I do believe this is absolutely true, that he has a calling on each of our lives, I also realize that I often forget simply God's faithfulness. And in God's faithfulness, I believe he's already revealed what it is that we can be working towards. Now, our current conversation over the last few weeks has been about people of God on a journey to pursue the presence of God together, which sounds like today's story. Now, we've been going through the Psalms of Ascent, this subset of Psalms, uh, but it also reflects on our journey together as a people of faith. Now, just like a Super Bowl type of event. There was a lot of anticipation. There was a lot of excitement about the gathering, uh, but the journey always included threats and fatigue and obstacles that the people of God set out on. Um, and since they had no car radio or tablets to watch to, to pass the time, they'd sing. They would begin this yearly pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, coming from all corners, but it would be a long and arduous journey. And the singing, though, wasn't just trivial. It wasn't just, she'll be coming around the mountains when she come kind of stuff. It was actually worshipful. And it would focus their minds and it would steady their hearts and, and prepare them for what it meant to gather as the body 
of believers. Now, the song of uh, the songs were called the Psalms of Ascent or the Pilgrim Psalms, and I like to think each of us are on a pilgrimage or a kind of journey through life, but with. Christ. And so I think there's a nice parallel for us to really receive from as it relates to these songs. And much like we have Christmas carols that would remind us, that would help us focus our attention and help us celebrate the birth of Christ, kind of get us in the spirit, so to speak, these songs served as reminders of God's faithfulness despite their circumstances. So when we come together in worship, uh, what we're doing is we're recentering our hearts. We're we're recentering our lives, um, and so we need this kind of experience as much as they did. And so, in Psalm one twenty six, if you have maybe an app or a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it to. You might want to jot a few notes. But in Psalm 126, we'll have, I'm using the message version because we've been going with the assistance of Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message translation, as well as a book that was really helpful called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Now, in Psalm 126, we have a song that registers high on joy. You know, joy. The thing you feel so much of the time during quarantine you know, joy. The feeling that you have most days when you watch the news coverage. Yeah, that joy. The joy you experience with the thought of logging on to another Zoom call. <laughs> the, the, the joy that you have in the middle of the night caring for a sick child. The joy you feel when your boss, your government, your friends, your family make life harder. Yeah, that joy. But what's brilliant about these Psalms, and this one in particular, in this songwriting is they give a critical perspective in how to experience joy, which feels like a win for all of us today. And so I kind of did a deep dive through this Psalm 126 today, and I want to draw out some things because joy doesn't feel natural. Sometimes joy feels a little bit like a discipline. And, and um, when we talk about long obedience to Christ in the same direction, joy and obedience don't seem like a good pairing. They, they seem a little bit like oil and water. But if joy is ever part of our experience, we need to be able to see the panorama of God's activity in the world and in our lives. And this is what the people of God do really well, both in their history, but in their song. And so what we learn is that joy is both a response and perspective that I think is accessible to all of us, regardless of your circumstances today. And the way to grow in joy is to develop an awareness of God's activity, hear this, past, present, and future. And that's what this psalm unfolds and unpacks for us. So if you look at the first part of Psalm 126, the first words of it begin to read in a very um, kind of uh, deliberate way where we see this, this picture. Uh, let, me, let me just read the first couple of verses together with us. Uh, and, and if we can just, again, it's, it's in the chat section of, of your screen. And it says this in those, in those first couple of uh, verses. It says, it seemed like a dream 
too good to be true. When God returned Zion's exiles, we laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nation. God was wonderful to them. So what they're doing is they're talking about their ancestors. This wasn't something that directly impacted their life, except that it did. They weren't alive when the deliverance came, but they celebrate God's faithfulness in their past. So the first thing we see in learning to have this kind of discipline for joy and marry the joy and obedience is we need to see God's work in the past tense. So he's talking about the deliverance of the Israelites. So when God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, they got on the other side of the Red Sea and they pretty quickly looked around and they said, mm, now what are we going to eat? And, and if any of you are prone to get hangry, you know, kind of hungry and angry, um, you know that your perspective gets very narrow. And the deliverance from slavery felt really short-lived as their appetite. And so God provided this new thing. It was called manna, their literal daily bread, along with some quail that would serve as protein. But it was given with the one instruction, gather enough for today. There would be no stockpiling. There would be no Costco runs on bulk orders. There would be no hoarding. There would be no accumulation. In God's infinite wisdom, he says, mm, just take enough for today and trust me for tomorrow. In other words, learn to appreciate and find joy in what you have today. This is how God has worked throughout history. This is the faithfulness of God and who he's been for the people of God. And it's so important if we're going to be people of joy and hope and mercy that we cultivate a perspective that might even transcend our own personal experience. See, this is where it gets really interesting to me in my study. What I didn't realize um, is that manna was brand new. Manna wasn't some traditional Jewish bread that they would break together um, and, and were accustomed to eating. It wasn't a part of the Egyptian diet. It was God providing something entirely new. So when it descended from heaven, they're like, what is it? And manna in the Hebrew literally translates to a question, what is it? which is a brilliant thing for us to consider when we consider God's faithfulness and God's provision. In essence, God provides them and us with a daily question that, uh, to, to digest as we realize God's presence and provision each and every day. When you look around at your circumstances, when you look around at what you already have, it's always good to ask, well, what is it? And so the people of God were trained to be thoughtful about their daily bread, their daily portion, and we can do that too. Will we always have needs? Yeah. Will we always have wants? But it's super important when we look at our past to see the faithfulness of God each and every day. Now, the second thing he goes on to say, and this is in verse 3, he says, God was wonderful to us. Remember, this is a song they're singing. This is a worship song that they're declaring God's worth in a past, in present, and in future. He says, God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. In other words, some other translations might say, and we are 
filled with joy. Does that mean they have problems? Absolutely. Does that mean they have concerns? Positively. Except in that moment, they can say, we are one happy people because we're filled with joy. Did you catch it? Can you see the connection between God's past and a current perspective that finds joy? See, joy is always a quality of the Christian journey. Did you catch that? A quality of the Christian journey. It's not a requirement, but it's a result of the life we experience and find in the Spirit. See, as we encounter undeserved gifts, oversized obstacles, happy moments, dreaded grief, daily challenges, God's promises, God's promises a daily provision and invites us to ask the question, what is it? See, God doesn't want us to become so comfortable, so complacent that we stop seeking him as our trusted source. So when you ask the question, what is this? What is going on? Sometimes it helps to start by realizing what we already have. But then you open yourself up to maybe an opportunity that God wants to redeem, God wants to use, God wants to invite us to surrender, God wants to invite us to serve. There is always an answer when we start with, God, what is this? But then he goes on to talk about God in a future tense, so past, present. And if we go into verse 4 through the end of this chapter, it says, And now, God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives so that so those who planted crops in despair will shout hurrah at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. What we find is how joy is raised with hope and expectation. But for some of us, we've had too many unmet expectations, too many disappointments that led to skepticism, that we don't want to make ourselves open and maybe vulnerable to the idea of hope and confidence. But if we look historically at who God has been, there is no reason to believe uh, that God would ever change. His love is then is consistent yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the people of God understood that. These were people under severe duress, and yet they could have this growing enthusiasm because they knew God would deliver in the coming days. And since God has been faithful, there's no reason to suppose that he would arbitrarily change the way he's working. In fact, Eugene Peterson has a, a clever way of saying, he says, what we have known of him, we will know. Of him. Just as joy builds on the past, it borrows from the future. Man. So we read things like, he's going to bring heavy rains to our drought-stricken life. Does your bank account, does your investment portfolio feel a little drought-stricken? Does, um, does your nightly uh, viewing of the media feel a little bit like a drought does, does your kind of hopefulness for a country feel like a drought? There are things that God is present in and God will be faithful in even when it feels like a drought. Now, when we look historically, we can look at Egyptian slavery to deliverance, marching through the Red Sea to just wanting to be hungry, to the story of David overcoming Philistines, the moody, jealous King Saul to the Babylonian king. Each act of God 
was an impossible act. But here's what it all revealed God's faithfulness in the midst of hardship and injustice and downturn of times. See, all suffering, all pain, all emptiness, all disappointment is seed. The joy of Christian discipleship that is growing our faith in Christ comes from the feeling not good about our success, but about God's faithfulness and his grace. Yeah, you might be sputtering. Yeah, you might be anxious. Yeah, you might be down for the count. But our joy is based on God's faithfulness, not our success. And we cannot simply make ourselves joyful. So please don't mistake me for Tony Robbins or some motivational speaker. It's going to be a byproduct of growing in Christ and realizing God's presence and faithfulness. When we realize that our hope and confidence, uh, that our hope and our confidence actually fuels joy. It won't always mean a good mood or a smile on your face, but it will help us, um, it will help us find this kind of long obedience in the same direction. It can sustain us. And so I want to do something as we just kind of wrap up this time and give you some things to consider. And I would just invite you to kind of bow your heart and maybe even close your eyes as I just reflect, because there are so many ways for us to answer this question. What is it? I think we'd all say, yeah, count me in. I want to experience God's joy. I need to feel more joyful. I want to reflect in a way that demonstrates God's confidence or my confidence is in him or, or my strength is in him. So let me just ask you a few questions, just sort of in the quietness of this moment. But what is it that God's afforded you without any of your own doing? Think about that for a moment. Health, clean drinking water, education, shelter. I mean, these are luxuries in our world today. But if you consider, what is it? What's going on? Maybe just think about what has God already afforded you in your past and up to today that maybe just don't have a lot to do with you. Sure, you might have worked hard. Sure, you might have been thankful, but let's just consider that. What is it? And secondly, I'd say it was what is it that you've worked hard to grow or to have? Because my follow-up question is, is, where did that strength come from? Where did your wit come from? Where did the opportunities come from? Where did the relationships come from? Is that not still part of God's faithfulness and care, whether we recognize it or not? And then thirdly, I would just ask you to consider this. What is it? that God's delivered you from? What's God protected you from? How has God provided? In other words, how has God already revealed himself? See, eventually, with this question, what is it? This kind of new bread in the desert? Jesus comes along and he answers, what is it? When he then identifies himself as the manna. Because when Jesus comes, he says, I am the bread of life, and he will be our portion today 
and tomorrow. And the challenge is to find joy in what we already have because of God's care.